Spotify, I would like to welcome you to the Owl Dog Hour once again. Episode 2, but in reality, we're on episode 20. The main hub is over at thealdoghour.substack.com. We're already 20 episodes deep. So I'm putting this podcast on Spotify to lift my grift. You can check me out at griftersuniversity.com. I'm a published author, if you didn't know that. Now, the title of my book is The Charter, A Millennial Journey Out of Hip-Hop Hypnosis. You heard that correct. And it's available right now on Amazon. Type in The Charter on Amazon. The book ships in February. You want to order a copy today because that is the book of the year 2023. I used to be the biggest hip-hop fan in the game. I even recorded a mixtape when I was 19. It's called Stoner Swag, and it's on Dapiff. That being said, I've had a journey out of hip-hop hypnosis, as have many people who are around my age. Because if you still listen to hip-hop music, you need to snap out of it. It's trash. It's all literal trash. And although it is entertaining, although I still study hip-hop as an anthropologist, hip-hop culture, the violence, the gang wars, the deaths. I love to study that aspect of it. The music itself is low vibrational garbage, and that is the premise of my book, The Charter. Buy it now on Amazon. I am an author by Al Dog. Available now. Check out that book. And this episode is actually episode one of the Al Dog Hour. And like I said, we're already on episode 20 over at thealdoghour.substack.com. I'm putting this on Spotify because people are listeners on Spotify. I'm going to gain more listeners. I'm going to gain more buyers of my books because at the end of the day, I am an author. I am the authority on what I write about. And the book is actually a fiction book where there are a group of millennial guys. One of them becomes a rapper. One of them becomes a blogger. One of them heads down a dark path. There's some famous rappers involved. There's cops involved. And it's absolutely hilarious. But at the same time, it exploits the tragedy that is music the last 100 years. It's basically all trash. And I spend my time listening to Russian, listening to a foreign language. And I'm basically training myself to learn a language instead of listening to garbage music all day, like most of you do. But... A huge part of my evolution in this process was around 2017, 2018, I was still a hip-hop fan. But then, between the deaths of Lil Peep, who I didn't know who he was at the time, Nipsey Hussle, who I was a fan of, uh, XXXTentacion, which that kid lived a ridiculously dark life. It was just the amount of... And Mac Miller, of course. I grew up listening to Mac Miller. It was the amount of death that occurred during that time period that really made me take a look at the whole situation. What forces are at play? Or if these forces are fractal in nature, it might seem dark, but in reality, it's guys making bad decisions because they will do anything for their dreams, right? They will do anything to the point where they might make sacrifices of their own lives, it seems. Or maybe they don't even die. Who knows? But anyways... Nowadays, a rapper dies every three or four months. There's a big rapper death, right? 
we've seen it recently with you know Young Dolph. Uh, recently, there was Young Keed or Lil Keed or something. Um, Draco the Ruler. You know, it just goes on and on. It never really stops. The FBG Cash, FBG Duck. Uh, recently, there was. Oh, Jada DeYoungin was another recent one down in Louisiana. Anyways, it happens all the time. And then, you know, at a certain point, you realize that this music is just garbage. And anybody who's still listening to this stuff, I'd recommend just taking a break and uh, seeing how you feel afterwards. See if you can still stomach this trash afterwards. But anyways... That is the premise of episode one of the Al Dog Hour. Check out the aldoghour.substack.com. We're already 20 episodes deep. Check out the Charter, a millennial journey out of hip-hop hypnosis. Welcome to the Al Dog Hour. This is the best podcast in the game. It's time that you catch up. Today, for example, we're talking about sacrifice within hip-hop and the amount of death that occurs within this industry. This is something I've been studying uh, extensively for a long time. I've got a reading list of all the books that I've personally read on the subject that I would recommend to you. We're going to talk about some of my favorites. We're going to read from some of my favorites uh, within this hour. And we're going to talk about a lot of these events, man. And there's a lot. I have a little list here. It really kicked off in November of 2017 with Lil Peep. Now, um, I never heard of Lil Peep's music prior to his death. Once he died, everybody heard of him, right? That happened in November of 2017. XX that happened in June of 2018. Now, I loosely heard of that kid, um, but when he died, I really dived in, and that kid lived a dark, dark life. Even if you go to his Twitter account to this day, it's all Crowley. It's all um, Thelema and all this Aleister Crowley type of stuff. And for those of you who don't know, Aleister Crowley was like this famous Satanist who uh, influenced a lot of rock and roll. So it was wild to investigate XXX Tentacion's death in his life and see that he was totally into Crowley at like 17 years old. I have quite a bit of thoughts on XXX Tentacion. I have about a 17,000 word <laughs> document that's unpublished uh, on him with basically everything. So if you're interested in that, let me know um, because I can send it to you and uh, I, I might release that as a PDF or something. But I, yeah, I dived into that kid's life and let me tell you what, it was very, very, very dark. A uh, kid lived a very dark life and he had a grip on his fan base like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, when he died, there was basically a riot ritual in Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> and his most favorite, his most famous interview was with the infamous Adam 22 of the No Jumper podcast, AKA Adam Grand Mason is his real name. Um, he's very, very politically connected individual. Um, we'll talk about that quite a bit because seems like every rapper before, well, not every rapper, but a lot of people get their big interview there before they you know, pass away, which is quite interesting. We'll talk about that a bit later. We'll talk about Mac Miller. That was a huge one in September of 2018, especially for guys around my age. I was born in 1990, so any guy that was uh, 
born around that time period sort of identified with Mac Miller in one way or another. Uh, you know, I, I've come to the realization that I think he was an op from the beginning. I think his entire career was planned out. Um, his most famous performance is the NPR Tiny Desk concert. And in that concert, he says he's going to die like five times. We'll be talking about that. We'll be talking about Mac Miller and what's happening now with that. Uh, apparently, the people who sold him drugs that he overdosed on are going to jail. Um, we'll talk about that. Nipsey Hustle in March of 2019. That was a big one. That was a very, very big one. Died at 33. Um, he was shot outside of a store that he owned, apparently. And I want to say this. As it applies to Nipsey Hustle, King Vaughn, we'll talk about Nipsey Hustle, XXX Tentacion. Just because something's on video doesn't mean it's it's gold, as far as I'm concerned. Um, there's always more to it. You know, these videos can be fabricated, but you know, with XXX Tentacion, the story is that these guys followed him outside of a motorcycle store, and then they pull up to his vehicle and they steal, uh, I think, a Louis duffel bag full of cash. And they kill him in the process. And it's it's on video, but the video is rather strange. And then with Nipsey Hussle, the story and video is this man, this former gang member got pissed at him. Oh, because oh, Nipsey was calling that guy a snitch. I think his name is I don't I don't want to get his name wrong. I'm pretty sure I know it, but um anyways, the guy who Nipsey accused of being a snitch came back and killed him. And that's most of that event is on video. Still a little weird. Um, then there was Juice World in December of 2019. Juice World had a song called "Lucid Dreams" that was playing on the radio every every fifth song was "Lucid Dreams" by Juice World during the time period before he died. Um, then he allegedly overdosed on a plane. A lot of symbolism going on with that. Never really cared or knew about who he was until after he died. And uh, that's important because that's a huge aspect of this as well. For an artist, you have your biggest sales day when you die, which is fucked up. But it kind of shows you how there's a lot of people, your managers, your record label, who have a vested interest in uh, seeing your demise because it's very profitable. And you become more profitable in death as an artist than you do when you're living because your music becomes finite. It becomes very a limited resource. There's not going to be any more produced. And, uh, I mean, all these artists, they have their biggest streaming days. They have their biggest plays, uh, when they die. So, and then there was pop smoke in February of 2020. Now this guy had an, an incredible buzz. He had hit after hit. And he looks exactly like 50 Cent. His physiognomy looks exactly like 50 Cent, 50 Curtis, 50 Cent Jackson. Now, Pop Smoke's last name is also Jackson. I strongly suspect they're related. Um, we'll talk about that. Um, FBG Duck 
in August of 2020. Now, I had no clue who FBG Duck was until he starts trending on Twitter. This is an interesting one because um, a member of OTF, which is Little Dirk's camp, a man by the name of Muwap, is currently incarcerated for the murder of FBG Duck. Now, Muwap is a really stupid, low IQ individual, it seems to me. Um, him and other guys, they got into a car. They went to downtown Chicago, like in the shopping district. Now, every city has this. Every city has that one high-end street, right, where all the Gucci stores are, the Louis stores are. In Boston, it's Newberry Street. You know, they went, in, you know, it's Fifth Avenue in Chicago. You know, I think it's Rodeo Drive in L.A. Maybe I could have that wrong. But the bottom line is every city in America in the world really has that, you know, that high end shopping street. And so these guys, they went into their car from, I think it's O block in Chicago, some ghetto neighborhood. They get in their car, they go to this rich shopping district where FBJ G duck was spotted. I think outside the Gucci store and they kill them. And now they're going to jail because they're dumb. But the interesting part about this is I think we will hear more about this because um, I do believe that at some point, little Dirk is going to go down with a Rico charge. Um, I'm predicting that, and I think we're going to hear more about the murder of FBG Duck as it pertains to a Rico charge for little Duck. I mean, uh, little Dirk, whatever. Little Dirk sucks, by the way. He's not a talented individual. I don't care what anybody says. It's all auto-tune. It's all garbage. He's not He's not a smart guy in my view. Then oh, speaking of <laughs> speaking of little Dirk, King Von dead in November of 2020. Now, King Von and little Dirk, both of their fathers are notorious gangsters. So they were kind of uh basically princes for lack of a better term as soon as they were born because of the reputation of their fathers. Now, King Von, he's admitted to killing. We're going to talk about this because this is nuts. This might be a part two that we might need two or three parts of the owl dog hour to cover all of this. But King Von, he's, he's, he's got like seven bodies. He's killed a lot of people. You know what I mean? He basically, um, he admits it at uh, times that he killed people. There was this, um, woman gangster that it came out recently that, the FBI says it was King Vaughn who killed her. Um, but yeah, he admits to killing like five, at least five or seven people. And people have unearthed clips of video of him talking about it, basically admitting to it. He's a psychopath. Um, very interesting artist, though. He was, he was actually probably talented. Um, a lot of people seem to believe that he was a sacrifice potentially for Little Dirk because the day that King Vaughn died... Little Dirk and Pooh Shiesty release a song called uh, Back in Blood. So that's kind of a wild coincidence, isn't it? Um, Pooh Shiesty is currently incarcerated. Pretty reckless guy. That's another rap artist. Um, so yeah, the King Vaughn thing. I dove into that quite a bit. We'll be talking about that because it gets crazy. King Vaughn and Little Dirk were both on trial and both facing charges for a shooting in Atlanta, both of them, okay? 
and they were represented by a lawyer named Manny Aurora. Okay, keep that name in mind. Manny Aurora also represented a man named Jimmy Winfrey. Okay, who is Jimmy Winfrey? Jimmy Winfrey is the guy who shot at Little Wayne's tour bus in April of 2015. Okay, uh, Jimmy Winfrey was uh, the former man, Young Thugs. This is back in 2015. This is not today. Even though Young Thug has been charged with Rico um, recently, as well as Gunna, uh, as well as Jimmy Winfrey again got charged. Like 28 people uh, were charged. The YSL, which is the Young Slime Life organization that Young Thug was in charge of, have been charged with Rico. Now... Jimmy Winfrey back in 2015. Oh, it goes deep, man. This goes deeper than than even this, because I'm going to say something after this that's going to blow your mind. Uh, Jimmy Winfrey was Young Thug's former road manager who in 2015 shot at Lil Wayne's tour bus when Lil Wayne had a concert in Atlanta at a place called... uh, I think it was called Compound Nightclub. And what happened was Young Thug and Lil Wayne are beefing at the time. Uh, you know, Young, I mean, Jimmy Winfrey's making threats to Lil Wayne at the at the concert. He's causing a scene. He gets kicked out. Lil Wayne's tour buses leave. Jimmy Winfrey, allegedly by himself, we don't know, follows him, shoots at his tour bus, you know, later... He's posting on social media. He gets, uh, he gets caught. You know, he gets caught, and he goes to jail for like three or four years. As it turned out, he claims that he was pressured by not only Young Thug but Birdman as well. Birdman is Little Wayne's surrogate father, as well as his uh, CEO of Cash Money, Young Money Records. So Jimmy Winfrey claims that he was financially incentivized by uh, Birdman and Young Thug to try and kill Lil Wayne. Fast forward to 2022, the YSL organization controlled by Young Thug has been charged with RICO, the series of murders, um, drug dealing, you know, violence, you name it. Okay, so that's... That's where we're caught up to 2020 now. And then recently, Lil Keed, uh, a YSL artist, died in May of 2022. I'll just get to that one now. Uh, Lil Keed, okay, his name means little kid, as in kid as in goat. People wonder, is it a sacrifice? Well, I don't know. His name means goat. It could be a sacrificial goat because Lil Keed, I don't know any of his music. I'm not interested in checking it out at all. Couldn't care less. But Little Keed was a YSL artist. Okay, he was a part of Young Thug's uh, camp that recently got charged with RICO. So they get charged with RICO. Twenty-eight of them get arrested. They're all in jail. This kid's still out free. He dies of liver failure, uh, like two days later. Not a coincidence. It's not like your entire camp gets charged with RICO. And then all of a sudden you have liver failure. Nobody's buying that. I think there's a few potential scenarios here. I think that he was potentially a sacrifice, uh, a blood sacrifice that, 
you know, Young Thug potentially and others have given to the powers that be in order to free them from prison. That's one idea. I think um, when I first heard about that case, I thought to myself, maybe his own gang killed him because he hasn't gotten arrested. Maybe he's the one snitching. He's not in jail, although he's a part of the gang. Maybe he's snitching. So I thought initially his first, uh, his gang killed him. Then I thought maybe it was a rival. Then I'm thinking, oh, liver failure. Maybe some people forced him to take some pills or something, and that forced his liver to fail. That's a potential. Um, I don't think he died randomly. I don't think he died from uh, just a random overdose. I think Little Keed, uh, his death isn't organic. But yeah, this is a lot of death, man, in this industry. A lot of these guys sell a bunch of records. They have a huge social media following, and then they die. And this happens all the time. I'd say on a quarterly basis. We had DMX die in April of 2021, 50 years old, potentially from recent medical procedures, if you catch my drift. Um, Young Dolph in 2021, uh, that's a recent one. Um, So these are just the recent ones, and we're not even, we don't even, we might dive into a little bit, you know, Proof was uh, a member of Eminem's entourage. He's part of D12. A rapper named Proof. Now, in the video for Like Toy Soldiers, Eminem's video, you'll see Proof getting shot and dying. And then later it happens. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's, I think it's basically a, a big ritual. And you, as the viewer of these music videos, you are partaking in the ritual, in the ceremony, as a spectator. That's what I think is happening. You know, we might even dive into Aaliyah. Lisa Left Eye Lopez. This is another one. Uh, Static Major. This one is nuts because Lil Wayne, we'll take it back to 2008. Lil Wayne's uh, 2008 smash hit Lollipop. You'll The song is featuring Static Major, okay? So if you watch that music video, Static Major, he's the one who sings. He's the one who sings the chorus, right? And then at the end of the video... They say, in loving memory of Static Major. He just happens to die before the Carter Three is released, which is just wild considering he was on the chorus of the album's biggest hit. Okay? So again, I don't think that's a coincidence either. Also, we're probably going to talk about Empire Records. Now, if you simply Google Empire Records, right? I'm going to do that right now. Um, you're going to see a lot of their artists, okay? Or no, Empire Records, Death. Let's look that up. Yeah, you'll see Juice World, you'll see King Von, and Tentacion. okay? They were all on Empire Records. And another artist by the name of Draco the Ruler, you know? The headline here is 28-year-old rapper Draco the Ruler stabbed to death at show. Another Empire Records artist dead. Wild. You know what I mean? That's another one we could dive into. That one was pretty pretty interesting um, because that was around the time of the Travis Scott incident, ritual. Now, when you say the name Travis Scott, it sounds quite a bit like Tavis Stock. 
And the Tavistock Institute is basically an institute out of London where social engineering of the masses through pop culture happens. That's the epicenter of it, is the Tavistock Institute. And the name Travis Scott could also be interpreted as traveling Scotsman. What do I mean by that? Uh, Freemasons often ask each other, hey, are you a traveling man? That's code for, hey, are you a Mason? Uh, The Scottish Rite Freemasonry is a huge branch of Freemasonry. So when you hear the name Travis Scott, traveling Scotsman, it basically means Freemason, okay? Which is, you know, it's a part of this whole deal. When I think of Freemasonry, I think of just mind control, you know? And it just so happens that Adam 2222, a.k.a. Adam Grand Mason, is the uh, epicenter of a lot of this culture. Um, We're also going to be talking about some of my favorite books uh, on this subject, because I've read a ton of books on this subject. Probably my all-time favorite, and we'll be reading some passages from it, is Sacrifice, Music Behind the Mic by Isaac Weisapt. That's probably my all-time favorite. Musical Truth by Mark Devlin, Musical Truth Volume 2, Culture Vultures by Damon, that's a really good one, Culture Vultures by Damon Dash, Shady Business was uh, a book written by Eminem's former bodyguard, and let me tell you what, he spills the tea on Eminem, Shady Business by Byron Big Nas Williams, Weird Scenes from Inside the Canyon by David McGowan, all-time classic, Dionysus Rising, uh, the Birth of Cultural Revolution Through the Spirit of Music by E. Michael Jones. That's a good one. The Tavistock Institute, Social Engineering the Masses by Daniel Estillin. That's a good one. This is one of my favorites. Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's Murders Targeting, targeting of SD, FD, I'm sorry, SD's Panthers, Hendrix, Lennon, Cobain, Tupac, and Other Activist by John L. Potash. That's an excellent book. Uh, Esoteric Hollywood 1 and 2 by Jay Dyer. Uh, Some other books I've read. I've read a lot of autobiographies on the subject, or biographies rather. Uh, Pimp, what's his name? Pimp C's, Sweet Jones, A Trill Life Story, that book. Gucci Mane's book, uh, Gone Till November, Lil Wayne's book he wrote while he was in prison. Uh, From Pieces to Wait, 50 Cent's book. And uh, Prodigy's brother, I forget his name read his book. I got Prodigy's book. It's pretty boring. I got DMX's book. Um, but yeah, so that's what we're going to be talking about, man. And we're going to be diving into some of these, some of these situations. And, uh, we'll talk about my book that will be on pre-sale in December. We'll talk about that quite a bit because it's on this subject. It's a comedy tragedy, uh, talking about these millennials who grow up listening to this music and how they take different paths in life and also a satirical, ridiculous, hilarious, absolutely fucking hilarious book that will be coming out. We'll be talking about that quite a bit too. So on the macro level, the millennial generation, more so than any other generation, is under what I call hip-hop hypnosis. So hip-hop music, it taps into your instincts It's essentially war drums, drill music, for example. It's tribalistic warfare music. So it gets you going. It gets your primal and tribal urges rocking, essentially. That's what makes it such a powerful form of magic, really. And it has the power to transmute the mind and transmute culture generally. Um, So 
For context, I was born in 1990. The Marshall Mathers LP came out in the year 2000. I think prior to that was the Chronic 2001, I actually think came out before that. But those two albums that came out when guys my age were about 10 were extraordinarily impactful. From there, 50 Cent came about. And now 50 Cent was hugely, hugely, hugely influential because he was brought to you by Eminem and Dr. Dre, the guys who, besides Jay-Z, basically owned the scene at the time. Now, I, I have a bizarre theory on G-Unit, actually, and, well, maybe gangster rap more so generally in the Iraq War. So the invasion of Iraq happened in 2003, and in my view... This is peak military power for the United States. Um, And I think gangster rap played a role in that. You know, when you have guys listening to G-Unit high off Adderall with machine guns, that's an incredible fighting force when you really think about it. And uh, it's mind-blowing to think about. And I think that gangster rap and hip-hop played a role in that. Um, especially 50 around, you know, 20, I mean, 2002, 2003 with the Get Rich or Die trying album in the G-Unit compilation CD after that. So I think it's important for people to visualize a sacrifice ritual, uh, what it looks like and what it looks like today. So if you visualize uh, a Mayan or Aztec temple, and, you know, they're sacrificing uh, somebody, killing them, you know, at a specific date, a specific time to transmute energy. And all the Aztecs, Mayans, whatever, or Romans, Greeks, whoever is watching, when you watch, you're giving energy to that event. Now, fast forward to modern times, when you have a rapper that's sacrificed or ritualistically killed Every quarter, just about, it happens nowadays, all of the viewers, all of the energy of all the fans is transmuted into energy that is converted to record sales, perhaps a beneficiary like Lil Durk when uh, King Vaughn was essentially sacrificed. Um, And my favorite book about this, like I said, is Sacrifice. Uh, music behind the mic by I, by Isaac Weisopt. And now, one thing he touched on in this book, and I'm going to read a paragraph here, is the low vibrational thinking that people are infected with when they listen to and really internalize some of this music. He says, hip hop in its present state is not the art form it was intended to be. Like anything else, it went through a cycle of small evolutionary changes, but also momentous revolutionary game changers. Things must change and evolve in order to stay relevant and prosper. But did hip hop change for the better? Or has it been diluted by evil forces to pollute the minds of the listeners with explicit lyrics that propagate themes of low vibrational thinking and lack of empathy for one another? One thing he talks about is the low vibrational frequency model as it pertains to business. Another part of the book I'd like to read to you right now, it's called Chapter 3, Words Are Weapons or Magic? Question mark. The... Low vibrational revenue formula 
requires the use of negative messages of fear, hatred, anger, violence, etc. These messages are implanted into the music and the listener takes them in on the subconscious level and stores them permanently. The messages will later bubble up to the surface and come through the listener's behavior and cause them to act in a certain manner. This is where the magic happens. Basically, with some of these absurd lyrics, you think, oh, it's no big deal. It's just entertainment, whatever. But what happens is a song gets in your head. You start repeating these things over and over again. And then the idea is that perhaps some of these people acted out. And another point he brings up is that it basically makes people sort of lose their empathy, become psychopathic, (laughs) you know what I mean? And like not in a cool sense, not in a funny sense. Um, So basically what happened to me, for me, was back in 2015, I was a huge hip-hop fan, potentially one of the biggest. Um, When Lil Wayne's tour bus was shot at by an affiliate of Young Thug, I dove into that. And I dove into it so much to the point where I just became uh, pretty disgusted after a while. And so after a while, I stopped listening to it. And what happens when you do that is it becomes impossible to listen to again um, because it's it's just trash. Um, I'll never forget when I tried to listen to the Carter Five after not listening to hip-hop for a while. And I was disgusted. Um, at a gut level, I was like, basically physically sick because I thought this stuff was such trash and it was um, quite the change from where I used to be. Um, Perhaps, you know, you had an experience when you were a youth putting on hip hop or rap music in front of an older relative, perhaps your parents in the car, and they're just disgusted, right? They were right. Um, They were right to be disgusted. And I'm not saying that boomer rock is any better In a lot of ways, boomer rock is way, way worse. I think the last century of music has been just abysmal. It's been uh, disgusting. All of it. The Rolling Stones, the Beatles. I think the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, I think those are terrorist groups. I think they're just awful. You know, I know boomers who have been listening to the Rolling Stones for a half century. Think about that, man. They've been listening to these same groups and partying for a half century. It's mind-blowing. And, you know, that's the same generation who thinks that the moon landing is real. Um, It's just the music plays a role in that. Now, when it comes to hip-hop culture, I still study it, especially these ritualistic murders, basically, as an anthropologist, because I still find it incredibly interesting. Um, The fact that you have these artists who commit acts of violence against one another, as well as are victims of gang violence. Now, if you were to compare it to like WWF, hip hop is obviously way, way more interesting because the violence and the beefs um, have results, very, very significant results. So we're going to take a second to talk about my book for a little bit, The Charter. A Millennial Journey Out of Hip Hop Hypnosis, which will be available for pre-sale this December. So for a while, I thought about doing a book on all these deaths, crime, all the shit that happens within the hip hop industry, sort of a David McGowan, uh, Inside Laurel Canyon type book. So it was in my research of uh, XXX Tentacion, 
I got to the point where I was literally talking to one of his ex-girlfriends, getting some information, um, but shit just got so dark, man. I mean, that kid was living in a house where pornography was being produced and rituals were happening. It was at that point where things got so dark where I was like, yo, this is disgusting. This is literal trash. This is shit. So I'm going to make a satire called The Charter, making fun of all this stuff, which is difficult to do. It's a very, very difficult uh, genre to satire because it's it's real trash. So once you snap out of hip-hop hypnosis, right? Anyways, I want to read to you guys the introduction to the book. This is the Al Dog introduction that went out on the email. Get on the email list if you're not on it. Um, most of you guys probably are. Anyways, this is the Al Dog introduction to The Charter, A Millennial Journey Out of Hip-Hop Hypnosis. Hip-hop music, and more so gangster rap, is the greatest psychological operation ever. I can't believe I ever listened to that low vibrational trash. Not only is the music disgusting, but so is the entire culture that surrounds it. Fat people wearing designer clothes and addicted to opiates. That's what hip-hop promotes. I've gone from being an enthralled fan to completely disgusted. Things I used to look up to, I now stick my nose up at to avoid the smell of shit. Eminem provided the link between rock and roll worshipping baby boomers and their millennial offspring who grew up hip-hop fans. That's a fact. Uh, my, my boomer dad was a huge Eminem, Dr. Dre fan. But here's the thing. <laughs> I know multiple other boomer dads that were also huge um, Eminem slash Dr. Dre fans. Different varieties of boomers. I uh, dated this one chick. Her dad was like a Professor Boomer. He loved Eminem and Dr. Dre. Another chick I dated, her dad was like a, a union construction boomer. Uh, again, huge Eminem, Dr. Dre fan. Side note. Anyways, um, I don't think rap would be nearly as popular as if if it wasn't for Eminem. Like many men of my demographic, I grew up idolizing Eminem. I grew up idolizing Slim Shady. And over the decades, I witnessed Marshall Mathers transform from a bold artist into one of the biggest cucks to ever perform on the world stage. Growing up, I was fascinated by the deaths of Tupac Shakur, Biggie Smalls, and Kurt Cobain. Yeah, that's what kind of started it. I was just like, what the hell is going on with all these guys dying? (laughs) Like, why is this the most dangerous profession to be in? Uh, Young Thug, an up-and-coming superstar, idolized Lil Wayne, who had been adopted by Birdman, who, with Lil Lil Wayne, owned a shared record label. When Lil Wayne's tour bus was shot up in April of 2015, nobody died, but it may have been the apex of my mesmerization. Yeah, mesmerization. I gotta change that to... Yeah, mesmerization is the correct word. Anyways, during the night of the shooting, shooter Jimmy Winfrey was in cell phone contact with Birdman and Young Thug. I just gotta let's just notice a small spelling error here. All right, fix that one sec. All right, here we go. The years 2017 to 2020 22 were big years in terms of alleged rapper deaths that some view as ritual sacrifices that grant power to those who order the deaths. Little Peep in November of 2017, XXX Tentacion, June 2018, Mac Miller, September 2018. Nipsey Hussle, March 2019, Juice World, December 2019, 
Pop Smoke, February 2020, FBG Duck, August 2020, King Vaughn, November 2020, DMX, April 2021, Young Dolph, November 2021, Lil Keed, May 2022. And I know I'm missing some. There's got to be a tons that I'm missing, but those are the big ones. Symbolism, Kabbalistic word magic, and ritualistic implications of mind control involved in all. A big rapper death once per quarter, making me ask one simple question. What's with all the death? For a while, I was working on a book on the demise of all these men. While investigating the alleged death of Tentacion, my project took a turn. I got so involved in investigating his life that I was exchanging messages with one of his alleged ex-girlfriends. My inquiry revolving around whether or not some of his inner inner circle were involved in satanic rituals. During this time, I was also researching an alleged double homicide by another Florida rapper by the name of YNW Melly, Young Nigga World Melly. While listening to all the music and every single interview, I realized that the whole scene was too dark and gross to have simply just happened. Yeah, YNW Melly is another one. He um, is currently on murder trial for killing two of his best friends, YNW Sack Chaser and YNW Juvie. Um, He was in a car and leaving the record studio, and he basically shot both of them, according to the state of Florida. He could potentially get the death penalty, or he could be potentially not guilty. We'll see. I think he's pretty guilty. And um, anyways, I noticed a strange parallel between XXXTentacion and YNW Melly. They were both committed to mental hospitals during their youth. And YNW Melly explicitly has multiple different personalities. Uh, he's kind of interesting, but just, just kind of crazy. Oh, and oh, another thing with him, his music video for murder on my mind depicts him killing his friends and then it happens. So there's this ritualistic music video aspect of it and then it happens in real life. So I'm going to digress with my introduction here. Eventually I became so disgusted with the whole genre that I decided to end my deep dive into the appalling events and low lifes and instead lampoon the entire spectacle into a tragic comedy. Immediately, I felt elated by the newly infused humor instead of feeling drained by the soul-sucking research. I couldn't get the image of a brown book titled The Charter out of my head. The idea was hilarious. I emailed my editor and told him about the change. He loved it. The title of The Charter was born. Hip-hop is so over-the-top ridiculous that creating a parody or satire proved to be one of my biggest challenges. Within the last 10 years, popular rap icons have gone from Lil Wayne and Young Thug to Dub Baby and Lil Baby and Poo Shiesty. See what I mean? Guys my age listening to Dub Baby and Lil Baby and Poo, literal shit, the necessity for men to get out of hip-hop no- hypnosis is paramount. It's paramount for a generation. Uh, it's time for a generation of men who grew up listening to this stuff to have a laugh and move on. What would we do if we couldn't laugh? The tragedy lurking behind the comedy is that generations are being devoured by extra low-frequency programming. A journey into the jaws of hell is necessary in order to ascend with clearer sight. That's what the Charter is about, a rhetorical tool for the generation of millennial guys seeking to move on from the genre we grew up with, once we see the tragedy hidden in the humor. 
I still study hip-hop culture as an anthropologist, the routine ritualistic murders in tribal warfare, music being worthy of my attention. Nowadays, hip-hop is mainly used to sell pharmaceuticals, given that practically every new song has a brand name drugs in a variety of which are named in them. The only thing black about hip-hop music is the magic that controls it. fixing a little spelling earlier here. Um, I completely snapped out of hip-hop hypnosis. The charter is humor, satire, tragedy, and parody through relatable characters all wrapped up in a sensational narrative. It isn't just any comedy. It's a classic crime comedy with some of the most ridiculous characters you will ever encounter. Multi-layered irony told from the perspective of millennial blogger Kobe Bryans and his group of friends. The book title is a metaphor meaning rap is crap. The book itself being a piece of shit, except it's not. It's a classic. My weapon of choice is humor to fight the reality of a multi-generational tragedy. Welcome to the Charter. Okay, so that's the introduction. Um, I want to read to you guys something else. I kind of want to circle back to Little Peep and Eminem. So what Eminem was, was the first rapper to talk about doing pills. Eminem would talk about doing pills all the time. That was back in 2000, right? Fast forward to Lil Peep who passed away as a result of overdosing. Lil Peep was the most drugged out rapper ever. Him and Juice World. that's all they talked about. Now, Lil Peep had an interview on Adam22's No Jumper podcast, right? And I want to read to you something I wrote about Adam Grand Mason, a.k.a. Adam22. This is fascinating. No Jumper is the most popular podcast in contemporary hip-hop culture. Host Adam Grand Mason has deep ties to the Democratic Party. His father, Philip J. Grand Mason, was personally pardoned by Bill Clinton after he was convicted of bribery and mail fraud. His brother, Adam's uncle, Joseph Grand Mason, is the former state Democratic chairman of New Hampshire. He was also the Democratic nominee for George for governor of New Hampshire in 1990. Joseph Grand Mason was later nominated by President George W. Bush and confirmed by the U.S. Senate to a board of directors position at the Export-Import Bank of the United States. So he's connected to the Bushes and the Clintons, and he just so happens to be the host of uh, Hip Hop's premier podcast. Isn't it interesting that the host of Hip Hop's most popular podcast has a father pardoned by Bill Clinton and an uncle appointed by George W. Bush? Um, so there you have it, man. That, that kind of that encapsulates everything about that whole genre. And in terms of who is in control of these uh, record labels, it's mainly a small hat operation with a few exceptions. Um, Damon Dash does an incredible job in his book, Culture Vultures, Conversations with Damon Dash, where he describes a lot of these guys as culture vultures, where there's Lear Cohen, Alan Grunblatt, Barry Clareberg, Joey I.E. Manda, Todd Moskowitz, Steve Stout, Charlie Walk, um, these guys are in control of hip hop, and there's another guy over at Empire Records, real creepy looking dude. Um, so that that controls it. It's not the streets. There's nothing organic about it. It's really um, a, a product with a very low vibrational pro- product. And you know, I I was at the point back in what 
2009, 2010, I literally recorded a mixtape. And if, <laughs> if you're listening, me and my buddy did it. It's awesome, to be honest. But if you're interested and you're listening to this right now, I'll send it to you because I don't know how many people are going to end up listening to this, but I'm, I'm excited for whoever does. Um, another thing is I've mentioned my book to a few people and <laughs> the two people I've mentioned it to and explained it to, they both told me, oh, one guy told me, oh, I have a nephew who raps. Another guy told me, oh, I have a brother that raps. So that's how pervasive more so even with the Zoomer generation than the millennial generation, they all basically want to be rappers. I wanted to be a rapper at some point. I think we all did because this extravagant lifestyle is advertised to you. Um, ludicrous habits of, you know, throwing cash around. Um, it's an, it's insane. It's a total, the, um, totally, excessive spending that's going to land you broke. Most of these guys end up broke. Um, Very, very broke. I used to operate a libertarian hip hop sports blog in 2015. And I had this running series. It was called forgotten rapper Friday, where I would highlight a forgotten rapper and, you know, show some of their hits. Um, This one week I did PD Pablo uh, he had a few hits in the mid two thousands. So forgotten rapper Friday, Petey Pablo. And then I tagged him on Instagram. Hey, you're in forgotten rapper Friday. And, uh, it was funny. He actually responded. He was like, wow, I've really fallen off. Uh, I'm on forgotten rapper Friday on this website. And he, he, he was a good sport about it. He was pretty funny. Um, anyways, we can't, I can't end this episode without mentioning the king of clown world, a.k.a. Takashi 69 Here's the bottom line with 69 I am entertained. Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of background on this, this kid. He uh, is a Mexican kid from Brooklyn, New York. Started out as a rapper, got in all sorts of trouble. Had um, He had like a heroin selling charge. He had like some sex crime he did. Not, not a great guy. Um, talented director. That's what people don't understand about him. He, he started off as a director. Anyways, he becomes the, the biggest name in rap, basically through trolling, through calling out all these other rappers. He joins a gang. He joins a black uh, subset of the Bloods uh, called the Nine Trey Bloods out of Bushwick, Bushwick, Brooklyn. And so he joins them, and he has this breakout hit. It's called Gummo. For all his songs, he just makes up the title, just nonsense words. But it's a breakout hit because of the visual. You got this Mexican kid with 6'9 tattooed on his face. He's got rainbow hair. He's wearing a green jumpsuit. He's surrounded by Black uh, Bloods gang members. It was just an incredible visual. So he took off. He became the biggest thing in rap. He's constantly beefing with other people. Very, very entertaining. Then it turns out the gang that he was involved with, they were extorting him. They were uh, fucking him over, basically. They were robbing him. It got to the point, and they were also committing crimes. You know, he hired a rapper named Kuda B to shoot at six, uh, shoot at Chief Keef. Actually, he hired Kuda B to fire at Chief Keef, fire a gun at him in downtown Manhattan. Now, Kuda B is currently incarcerated for that crime, and the nine tray 
Blood Gang members, they went down in a RICO charge where Takashi 69 ended up snitching on them. And uh, he got out of jail. Now he's back. And he's very entertaining um, because he says the things that other people aren't willing to say, basically. The bottom line, he is entertaining. Is he a good musician? No. Is his music good? No, absolutely not. But you have to watch the music video once just to really study it as, a, as an anthropologist. And now recently, uh, a rapper by the name of Kendrick Lamar released an album, and he's, he's basically shilling for Big Pharma, and he's talking about how he enjoys, or he, he loves trannies, basically. Uh, I haven't listened to it, but I got the gist of it from the timeline. That happened a, about a week ago. And uh, it was in that moment I realized that hip-hop culture is on the decline for those of us with eyes to see and ears to hear. So my book, it'll be on sale in December, but it doesn't come out till next spring. It is coming out at the right perfect time. While we're on the subject real quick, um, I got another book coming out. It's unrelated. It's about a surf assassin. Um... And that's going to be really, really good. Really, really funny. One prediction I want to make. The next sacrifice, big hip-hop sacrifice or death, I do believe will be Machine Gun I'm sorry. I do believe will be Machine Gun Kelly in the fall of 2022. Uh, all the signs are there. He seems to be in a trance. And... Um, that is my prediction on the next big one. Because a lot of these guys you don't hear about until, until they're gone. Um, another thing I'd like to bring up, hip-hop music has normalized opiates to a degree I never thought was possible. When you have a superstar, superstars rather, like Lil Wayne and Future, constantly with a double cup of lean, which is codeine, which is prescription strength, opiate cough syrup they're constantly using that in public and it got trendy to the point where the younger rappers decided they needed to do it as well you know i see hip-hop music mainly as a pharmaceutical advertisement vehicle uh, specifically for opiates and also drugs like xanax which is basically advertised um, it, it was disturbing to me to see, uh, you know, rappers specifically use uh, words like Percocet and other prescription strength opiates in their raps, and they advertise it as if it's cool. And in comes the private prison angle: is hip hop music, gangster rap, and now drug rap really is what it's all about nowadays. Is that being used? to usher in a new slave population that works for pennies in prisons. That's another interesting angle, okay? But more so, my point is really about music in general uh, over the last century. And it's not just about demonizing hip-hop or rap music or gangster rap or whatever. Here's a great example. Anthony Kiedis the lead singer of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And if you read his book, Scar Tissue, right? That guy claims to have done more heroin than I ever thought possible. You know, that song, uh, Under the Bridge, where uh, Drew Stumble, he's talking about doing heroin. Um, 
And I don't know if he's telling the truth, but that's what he claims in his book. And also in his book, he uh, talks about how Sonny and Cher were his babysitters. His father was a drug dealer, apparently named Spider. So all the rock stars would get their drugs from Anthony Kiedis' father. To me, that screams of CIA, Laurel Canyon type ops. So it's not just about hip hop and rap. It's all of it. Music from the last century. And um, I, <laughs> I grew up in a strange area, right? And I was kind of anomalous in that I liked mainstream rap, like 50 and Eminem. But a lot of these, uh, the other kids, they liked Tech 9 and Insane Clown Posse, right? And I, my respect for those particular groups has increased throughout the years because they're independent artists. And um, yeah, it's just kind of a strange thing. Um, basically, all the jocks liked mainstream rap, but a lot of the student population liked the independent artists for whatever reason. Um, Jack Harlow seems to be the new star. And I'm going to tell you right now, Everything you're seeing happen with Will Smith in terms of being publicly emasculated every other day, that's going to happen to Jack Harlow in 10 years. That kid will be putting on a dress if he hasn't already. That kid will be publicly emasculated by whoever his female partner is. It's all part of the process. So anyways, this has been the Al Dog Hour episode one. I can't tell you how much research has gone into this one hour just from my own uh, endeavors, my own uh, desire to learn about some of this stuff to the point where you can just kind of see it for what it is and move on with your life. I love studying this stuff as an anthropologist, and that's what we're going to do on the show. We're going to take one episode, I mean, one topic every week and just nail it. Um, any follow-up questions, you guys know where to contact me. You got my email. You're either on Substack or you're following me on Twitter. So DM me anytime. Thank you for joining me. And this show is only going to improve. I can't wait to add some music, some intro music. Uh, and it's going to be absolutely incredible. All right, guys. So there you have it. We're 20 episodes deep on the Al Dog Hour. I will be uploading more to Spotify. Become a subscriber on Spotify because... The next couple episodes are just too good. You have to be a subscriber in order to listen to them. So definitely do that. Now that I'm two episodes deep on Spotify, become a subscriber here um, and check out The Charter, A Millennial Journey Out of Hip Hop Hypnosis, available now on Amazon. It ships in February. You're going to want to order a copy today because the price is going to go up in February. So right now it's about 20 bucks. $27 total, including shipping. Check that out today. Become a subscriber on Spotify or head on over to the aldoghour.substack.com where we're 20 episodes deep. I got about five essays, how to read books, uh, how to write, how to do barefoot sprints. I got five essays called The Summer Stack available for real subscribers. That's 40 bucks a year, $5 a month. $3.33 a year when you subscribe for a year at $40. So that's where you get all the exclusive content. We're at 20 episodes over at the aldoghour.substack.com. But if Spotify is more of your thing, I will 
be uploading more to Spotify. Definitely become a subscriber on Spotify. Welcome to the Owl Dog Hour.